that. I love miracles right in the midst of our own church family. It's pretty cool. So we're, so we're right in, in the middle of this sermon series, Spirit Empowered. And uh, the series thought, if this is your first time or if you've missed a couple of them, um, is this. God's assignment for my life will never be fully completed if I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit. A bold statement, but true. That if I'm not empowered by the Holy Spirit, that, that I, I'm, I come just short of being able to fulfill God's assignment for my life. It takes spirit empowerment. I can't do it in my own strength. I really can't. And so the text that we kind of springboard this whole series off of was Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. And it says this, while, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And so it was important enough for Jesus to tell his disciples to wait. Don't, don't go on in your own strength. Don't leave this place and go, go spread the, even the good news in your own strength. You gotta wait, you gotta wait. And then you, you realize later in that chapter that, that, they were, that they would be baptized, they would be witnesses um, in Jerusalem first and then, and then it would go on to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so this, was the, this whole deal, the epicenter of Christianity was going to be right here. But they couldn't do it in their own strength. They had to wait for empowerment. And that's what we, so we, in week one, we introduced Acts 1 and introduced that whole series. And then week two, we talked about the significance of Pentecost. And it, it is all that it's cracked up to be as far as our Pentecostal charismatic flavor of a church and everything. But we realized that, that there was two foundational things when it came to the first outpouring of the, of the Holy Spirit. That, that Pentecost was actually a feast that they celebrated all the time. Pentecost had been going on for probably 1,300 years. And what happened, this is the first outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. And there was two significant things. One is, is that it, it was designed for, to advance the gospel for evangelism. And then two, it was designed for people to be able to walk righteously. In other words, I can't live this Christian life on my own. It, all of these, all of the rules, all the regulations, all the things that, that come in the Old Testament and, the, and all this whatever, like I can only do this. I can only fulfill this by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we found that that's what happened in, in the first Pentecost. Well, not the first Pentecost, but the first outpouring of the Spirit on Pentecost. And then, uh, and then week three, we, um, we started this story with the, uh, the crippled beggar at the Gate Beautiful. And he was miraculously healed when Peter and John said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have, I give to you. And we found out that, that it was more than just this miracle. It was more than just for this man. But it was a symbolic thing of, like, he wasn't allowed to go inside the temple gates. This was as far as he could come and no farther. And so this healing, it was, a, it was an act of God making him whole and symbolically saying that our wholeness in Christ is what allows us to get close to God. I mean, just incredible. I love that it was never just about the miracle. It was never just about the power. That was the starting place. And it brought glory to God and it advanced the gospel everywhere it went. The reason why we want to go after the things of God and the, and the, the authority we have in the kingdom of God and the healings and miracles and all this isn't just so that we can have a nice uh, um, circus and dog and pony show. But we're wanting to advance the, the gospel and and plunder hell and populate heaven, right? Isn't that like the, the goal? It should be the goal. And so that was last week. And so this week in Acts 4, we continue this story of, uh, 
of what, the, what you find next forward. This is just like minutes, no more than hours after this crippled man was made whole. And, and we go into Acts 4. And so today, the, the title of the message is The Evidence of Boldness. The Evidence of Boldness. The main thought here is God's strategic plan of advancing the gospel is to fill believers with the Holy Spirit evidenced by a supernatural boldness. Sharing our faith in Jesus and speaking the word of God is not optional based on our personality type. Just going to pause and drink right there. Let that sink in. So, uh, so I want to I talk about this. I want to I hit this. I want you to know, um, I was, as far as boldness, um, the, way I, the way I approach evangelism is I prefer to just kind of uh, out of relationship, get to know somebody, you know, probably, you know, have a, uh, you know, over a long period of, of years, this relational, and then eventually the conversation happens and, and, we, and, then, and then boldness comes and we, we seal the deal, right? And so I, uh, so naturally, my personality and things like that, I would rather not do the, the door-to-door um, evangelism. Um, I'd rather not, you know, uh, just go stand in the corner with a bullhorn or anything like that. Like that that's not me. I don't know. That may be, that may be somebody else uh, in, in our midst. That's not, that's not me, right? And, but, uh, but there's no excuse for me to, to not be bold, and, I, and sometimes, I'll just be honest, that my approach there with the gospel, sometimes it's laced in fear. Sometimes my approach with just, oh, I'm just going to be relational and just whatever, sometimes it's laced in, uh, I don't want to be rejected. I don't want someone to, to think bad about me. I don't want them to, to, to not take what I'm, what I'm delivering, not, not take what I'm selling. And, and so I, I, as I was reading this, it just it, it convicted me in the heart that, that wait a minute, this whole deal that we're talking about next four as we go into it, this wasn't like a personality thing. This wasn't like somebody that was just a good orator or someone that, that was just, just a, um, you know, maybe they have the gift of gab and they can just talk with the best of them or whatever. Or, or kind of, you know, Peter was like a, a mouth insert foot type of guy. So, of course, he's going to be bold, right? But it wasn't about that at all. It was they were filled with the Spirit and then there was boldness. It, it, it went straight past personality type. And so it's, the Lord started showing me. In fact, when I was younger and I was first kind of on fire for God and all this type of stuff, I remember going to a Christian school when I, w- I was living in Arizona. It was a Christian grade school. And, uh, and they, you know, they had the fence on the playground. It was in a residential neighborhood. And, and uh, um, I was, man, I was bold back then, Keith. And, I, and the, the, uh, this one day, the, the Mormon missionaries were walking down the, um, the road and they were doing their, they were doing their thing because, because they, you know, they're good at what they do. Just being, just being honest, right? And, and so, so they were walking by. But I was good at what I did too at like eight. And so I, I was like, hey guys, hey guys. And they, and they came over to the fence. And I remember being in a theological debate and sharing the gospel with these two Mormon missionaries and eventually they had to go and I was still talking you know and that was that was awesome that was great I remember in uh you know in high school working at at Arby's in in Arizona and I just I remember um having people that I mean I was I was sheltered 
not gonna, not gonna lie. And, and there were people that would smoke tobacco. <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> and, they, and there were people that they would drink alcohol. And they would say swear words. And they would, well, this is bad. They would do drugs. <laughs> and they were, they were within, they were at my, uh, at my workplace. And I'm like, I'm 16. Just, and passionate for God. And we would have great conversations. My mom and dad would get worried about me because I, I would, I'd come home like midnight or one in the morning after closing. And closing was before that. And they're like, what's going on? Why? And, and this is like back, I mean, this was like the Zach Morris telephone days, right? And I didn't have one, you know? And, uh, and, and so they would just, well, what's going Well, I was just sitting there talking with my coworkers about Jesus because, because they have to get, they have to know. Wouldn't you want to know if you were wrong? Right? Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you want to know it if you if if you're living um, a lie and and you're on a one way ticket to hell? You just like you'd you'd want to know that I think, right? And so I was just I would just go after it. The same thing at the next job I had when I was 18. And um, I think I've told the story in here before, but finally after asking the my coworker to come to church with me, have you ever done that? Asking your coworker and yeah, I'll, I'll be there this Sunday, right? It doesn't happen, right? And probably months of, I'll be here this Sunday. Finally, he shows up on a Sunday morning, gets saved, and, and signs up for the missions trip that day. And we were going we to go to Mexico. And, uh, and so he sh- I'm just like, dude, this doesn't happen. This is great. I'm, I'm doing a good job, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so he was so on fire for God that it, like, encouraged my faith. Like, at lunchtime, we would, uh, we would just talk over Scripture. But he's like, what is this? And I'm just, oh, that's just John 3.16. Like, everybody knows that one, you know? And, and, he would just, and we would just go over because he was so hungry. We went on, went on this missions trip, and we, we went to Nogales, Sonora, Mexico. And we were, in, um, we were ministering in a maximum security women's prison. I mean, machine guns. And you're guilty till proven innocent there. I mean, it was just, it was crazy. So everyone's watching you. We had this little church service and we did a baptism with one of those little kid waiting pools. And after, I mean, and, and honestly, it's just not sanitary in there. I mean, you, in order to have sanitary type stuff, you had to have friends or family members that would bring it to you. They didn't provide that. And so needless to say, this water was disgusting. Gross. And they were just getting baptized. These women were just getting baptized. I mean, it was, it was the most beautiful thing. Well, at the end, I tug on my shoulder, or my, on my shirt, and my friend says, I've never been baptized. And so right in the, imagine, wouldn't you love to have your story be, I was baptized in a maximum security women's prison in Mexico? <laughs> and so that happened to him. So he was, so we, so we baptized him in the midst of the muck and the mire and the gross, and he came up white as snow. I mean, it was just... He was, isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that a sweet thing? So I remember that. And so t- as we talk about this, I want you to understand where I'm coming from, from some of my history. I also want, want you to know where I'm coming from with my personality. I, I do, I don't have a problem talking with people, but there is a little bit in me sometimes when I'm in the natural. When I'm in the natural, there's a, there is sometimes where fear kind of rises up in my heart when, uh, you know, to broach the subject of salvation. You know, especially if I don't know the person. And so there's going to be all kinds of different opinions and thoughts and all this. And I just want to go to the Word. And if you're going to hear anything today, I want you to hear this. That 
it comes from Holy Spirit empowerment. That if you're going to do this thing in your own strength and your own wisdom and all that stuff, you're, like, you should be afraid. I mean, if you're just going to operate in, in just a, a, an intellectual transaction and try to win an argument, man, you know, you should. Go for it. But if you're going to do what these guys did here and be full of the Holy Spirit, there's no reason to fear. And that's where I want to, that's where I want to head today if you guys are all right to head on the journey with me. Um, we're going to begin Acts chapter 4 um, in, and in verse 1. We pick up just minutes after um, this crippled beggar was healed. And, and so it says this, now as they spoke, and this is Peter and John, they're preaching to the crowd that had formed right now. And it says, now as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came, came uh, uh, upon them. And, and so uh, this is, they're interrupted. They're in the middle of their sermon. And I'll tell you what, I've never really had this happen before. I would, I would really like no one to interrupt me while I'm preaching, please. But that's what happened. That's what happened here. So they were interrupted right in the middle of their sermon. And, um, and, and the Sadducees come. We have to understand that the Sadducees were the majority ruling class of, this, of, the, of Judaism. Um, they, they were the, uh, the legalistic. Um, they, they actually ran the temple. The Sadducees ran the temple. The Pharisees were another religious class, and they ran the synagogues. And then you had the, the Essens, and they were another religious class, kind of a minority class. The Pharisees were the ones everybody liked. The, all the, they were the most likable ones, and people followed the Pharisees. But the Sadducees um, ruled the temple, and Peter and John are right in the temple courts preaching this sermon. And so you start to see this thing um, build. Verse 2, being greatly disturbed, these are the Sadducees and some of the other religious authorities right there, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And so you start to find what the real issue is here. Um, in the hearts of some of these religious authorities. And the big thing was that they were preaching about Jesus being resurrected. Well, there was, there was some, some main issues with that. First of all being Jesus being resurrected. These were the same guys that um, weeks before um, handed Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. And so Peter and John preaching the resurrection of Jesus right in the temple courts in front of the, the elite of the elite religious, religious authorities. That's a, that's a problem. In any, in, in no matter how you cut it, that's a problem. But, but there was, a, there was a, a bigger, and I don't want to say bigger, there was a deeper issue at the root of all of this beyond just pride that we had just killed your, your master, your leader. Um, there, was a, there was a deeper issue here. And the deeper issue was theological. There, because of the, I told you there was three main religious camps of that day within Judaism. And the Sadducees, they actually believed that there was no, uh, that there was no resurrection of the dead at all. Uh, and, I mean, not even your soul carried on. When you died, you died. You were it. That was it. I mean, you better live, you know, uh, uh, live this day. Carpe diem, seize the day, you know. You only live once, right? And that was it, right? And that was it. And so the, the, your body didn't resurrect physically. Your soul didn't resurrect spiritually, none of that. So you could understand the majority ruling class of Judaism. They, uh, for you to talk about anybody raising from the dead, this is heresy. 
The Pharisees believed in a resurrection from the dead, but they, they didn't believe that the body resurrected. It was just the soul. And uh, the soul was eternal. The soul was immortal. Um, but, the, but if it was an evil soul, that soul would, uh, would kind of go off into eternal torment. And if it was a righteous soul, it would, in essence, reincarnate into another person at some point. So, there would, so they, they, the Pharisees, in essence, would believe in some sort of a reincarnation. The Essens, the other religious class, they didn't, they, they didn't believe in the body resurrecting, um, but they, they also didn't believe in this reincarnation yeah, crud, right? They, uh, so, so they rejected that whole idea. They just believed that the soul lived on immortally and eternally, and, uh, but it was disembodied. And so you had these three, and so these three main classes of religious people um, all would, uh, would have a problem with the, a physical body being resurrected, and that's what they're talking about. And so Peter and John, in the midst of the temple courts, are causing a huge scene, a huge problem, because they've got this crowd and everybody is hanging on all of the words that they're saying, plus this crippled man is standing right there and everybody sees him. He, he used to be the guy that they walked by every day to go to the, the temple for prayer. And now this guy that everybody knows that has a reputation of he used to be crippled and lame, he's dancing and leaping and praising God. So this is the scene. In verse 3, oh and by the way, if you were wondering in your notes, like where are the three points? I've only got one point today. So I know, I throw you guys off. Verse 3, and they laid hands on them, talking about the religious authorities. They laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. So, so they're arrested. Peter and John are, um, are arrested. And, and it's interesting here because... It, they actually had the authority to arrest uh, because the, um, Israel was under Roman rule, but the um, Judaism, the religious authorities, the, the Sadducees and Pharisees and the, the religious authorities at that time, they were underneath Roman rule as well, but they were given delegated authority. In fact, they were allowed to rule their own people based on all of the religious laws and every, anything that the Judaism would come up with, whether it be the law of Moses or whether it be other things they made up, they were allowed to rule their own. The only thing they couldn't do is capital punishment. So if it came to like actually killing somebody, well, then they had to come to, well, that's what happened with Jesus, right? So, so they, they took Jesus before Pilate because they could, they could do anything they wanted to Jesus except they couldn't kill him, so they came before Pilate. And you guys remember that story weeks and weeks before this story. And so that was what was going on. And, uh, and, then, and then you see here that there were about 5,000 um, men that had, uh, that had come to know the Lord. Um, and it was, they, they only recorded, I'm sorry, ladies, I am not, I'm not sexist or anything like that. Sometimes the Bible only records, it was just a cultural thing. But the good news here, 5,000 men, that means that there, it's not including women and children. There, there was probably 20,000 or more followers of Jesus at this time. Now that's incredible as we're looking at this story, but this is also a scary thing for these religious authorities. They're like, oh my goodness, they're trying to pull out whatever hair they have, right? And, and they're, I mean, this is, a, this is a big deal, huge deal. But 5,000 followers of Jesus, and there were 3,000 in chapter 2, and now after the story of the crippled beggar, now there's 5,000. Like, this thing is growing 
um, exponentially. And so there's probably about 20,000 or more followers of Jesus. And so now Peter and John are sitting overnight in the county jail. And uh, it's only just begun. Verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And, uh, and I don't want to, uh, I'm going to talk about any of these names really, um, just that they're important. The main thing that we need to know is that these guys were part of what's called the Sanhedrin, and I think it's actually pronounced the Sanhedrin, but since I'm, uh, uh, I speak American, then it's Sanhedrin. And so, the, so there was San, the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 71 men that would, make, that would rule on matters of religious law and all this within Judaism. Um, they were the, the Senate. They were the, the uh, Supreme Court. Um, and, and included the high priest. And these guys, the high priest was appointed at this time in history. The high priest was appointed by, uh, by the Roman um, government. And so you have these, these government officials, the elite of the elite of Judaism and of Jewish authority, that they're sitting here, 71 guys, and they're concerned about the heresy and all this, but they're also concerned about their position. Like, if they, if they uh, misstep in front of Roman rule, the Romans will just take out this high priest and put in a new one. And so they, so they want to be careful. And so that's what's happening. And so you got 71, 71 men here, and it just mentions a few of them. Um, they're the Supreme Court and the Senate of Judaism. And, um, but they were interested. They were worried about the heresy. And, but you'll notice here in verse 7, watch what, they're, watch what they say. Even though they're worried about the resurrection of the dead and, and them preaching about Jesus, this is what they say in verse 7. And when they had set them... In the midst, talking about Peter and John, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Well, what are they talking about? Well, they're, they're talking about the story. They're talking about the crippled beggar. So the, the issue that they really want to talk about, Jesus being resurrected, the resurrection of the dead, they don't go there. Well, why? Well, because there was an empty tomb. The, and, and that wasn't enough for them to prove that Jesus was resurrected. I mean, obviously, there could have been some hanky whatever going on, and they figured they took it and they took the body and just, you know, and hid it someplace. But, but the body was gone. I mean, producing a body would really help their case. And they didn't have a body. So there was an empty tomb. There was, Jesus appeared to more than 500 people after the resurrection. So there was eyewitnesses, there were miracles, there were graves opening up and dead people walking around alive now. And I mean, there's all kinds of things. So the Sanhedrin at this time, they're not going to go there. They're not gonna, we're not, we're not going to entertain this conversation. We're, at, at minimum, they don't want to look bad. And at maximum, they don't want to be proven wrong. They are so committed to their theology. And they're so committed to their rule and their reign and their authority. Not, but they, were gonna, they are going to go here. What about this crippled man? Let's get him on something. And you notice here, they're not, uh, they're not saying that the guy wasn't healed. Like the, these, these guys, these, this, this man was standing there with them. They had seen the same guy when they came to work each day. It wasn't about whether or not the crippled man was healed because he was absolutely healed. The question here is, 
By what power and authority was he healed? How did, how did this guy get healed? What happened? And, and so the, they, questioned, they didn't question the validity. They questioned the theology. So the minds of the Jews at that time, uh, any healing that would happen, any miracle like that, any healing um, was inherently supernatural. In fact, it was only about 100 years before that the Jews would, would um, start to accept the fact that there could be um, healing by medical doctors, where there could, that you could, your body could heal naturally and that there were wisdom from doctors to kind of help direct and all that type of stuff. It was only within the, the 100 years before. And at the epicenter of Judaism, they were a whole lot slower to receive that. And so there was still skepticism about healing. There was all of that stuff. And what they would, so what they would, were asking here too, one of the things was, was this by sorcery? Did, did, did you heal this guy by sorcery? Or did you hear, heal him by the power of the name of another God? What was going on here? So, so, these, uh, so these religious leaders are wondering. You remember, they asked Jesus the same thing. You remember that? Mark chapter 3 and other places. They would, they would come up and Jesus would do a miracle. They can't deny the miracle. The miracle happened. The person's healed. Or in one case in Mark 3, the, the, the Jesus had just cast out these demons. And what did they say? Well, read it in Mark. I think I have it here in Mark chapter 3 verse 22 up on the screen. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub. And by the ruler of demons, he cast out demons. And so... So they did the same thing to Jesus. Well, he must just be doing this by, and you remember what Jesus said at that time. He's like, are you kidding me? By the power of Satan, I'm casting out Satan? He's like, by your logic and reason, don't you know that a house divided against itself can't stand? I mean, Jesus was brilliant. He, was a, he, he had the best questions, the best answers. He, he, was, he was incredible. You're starting to see here in just a minute, Peter and John, they were Jesus' prodigy. They hung out with the man. And so that was what was happening here. And so you, you move on. And, uh, and, and also the, the religious leaders, they were, just, they were power hungry and insecure. By what power and authority are you doing this? Like, we're the ones that make the decisions here. Verse 8, and this is when everything shifts. This is the hinge pin of the story. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. And you can't miss this because it wasn't Peter's personality. It wasn't, I mean, you always see Peter standing up in, in the midst of everybody. Um, and so there was, yeah, but before this, he was the mouth insert foot guy. He got in trouble with his mouth. And now, full of the Holy Spirit because of the encounter in Acts 2. Like, there is so much more going on here. There's the wisdom that he's walking in, the, the articulation, the, the, the questions and the answers and all of this stuff. Full of the Holy Spirit, Peter is taking this thing to a whole nother level. And it's an invitation for us, full of the Holy Spirit, to do the same thing. It's so critical that we don't miss this, full of the Holy Spirit. He's not just getting into a, a great theological debate because he knows so much. Verse 9, and Peter doesn't hold back. It all starts. Peter says, if, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man. In other words, if this is really why we're here and what we're talking about. You notice that? He's just like Jesus. 
if this is why we're here, he, Peter was, was really saying, I don't think that we're here on trial because of this crippled man. But if that's what, we're, if that's what you want to talk about, we'll talk about it. By, and so he says, if, by, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, oh, don't go there, Peter, whom you crucified, ah, he said it. Because it was them. This wasn't just an in general with the, you know, the Jewish population, the Jews crucified Jesus. This, wasn't, this was you 71 men a few weeks ago made the decision to hand this guy over to Pilate. So he's like, he's on. Like I like to say, he's on like Donkey Kong. Whom you crucified. Whom, now the theological issue, whom God raised from the dead. And by him, this man, this crippled man, stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Man, that took some guts. That took more than just a personality. That took a boldness from the Holy Spirit, knowing that it's all on the line now. There's no going back. We just pulled the pen So Peter doesn't pull punches. Again, these are the same ones that crucified him. But I love how he brings up Psalm 118. Because he, he goes for the jugular here. And not because Peter's just being rude. He, he has an agenda. And his name is Jesus. And so Psalm 118 is quoted and this is, this is what happens in verse 11. It was, it was that, that quote, the, the stone the builders rejected. It says this. It says, I will praise you for you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. That's Psalm 118. Uh, messianic Jews, all, all Jews, Christians, they would have looked at this as a messianic prophecy. That's the whole Psalm 118. And so, um, in fact, it's Psalm 118 I have here in my notes, it's part of what's called the, the Halal, which can, uh, consists of Psalm 113 to 118. This was um, often, these passages were often part of um, Jewish liturgy in the synagogues. Often. So, he doesn't just say, you guys crucified him. He brings a messianic prophecy, a psalm that all of these guys would have known by heart and he references something that they, that they knew and then he brings meaning to it. In fact, Jesus himself called himself the chief cornerstone to these same guys in the temple courts. Watch this, Mark chapter 12, verse Verse 10, he says, this is Jesus talking. He says, have you not even read the scripture, the halal? You guys read this all the time in, in your synagogues. The, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. This was Jesus talking just weeks, maybe months before. And they sought to lay hands on him but feared, uh, but feared the multitude for they knew he had spoken the parable against them. So they left him and went and went away. Who was them? It was these 71 guys. Jesus was, was in the temple courts when he said that. 
And so now, you fast forward to Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts 2, and the disciples are here, and we're, we're right at the epicenter of, of the gospel being spread, and Peter and John are before these same guys, and they're saying the exact same words that Jesus had used. So Peter stands before them, and he not only says that Jesus was the chief cornerstone, he says, and you guys are the builders that rejected him. Huge. Verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And you have to also remember, Peter's still full of the Holy Spirit. He's still under the influence of, of God, of the Holy. This isn't just his own words, but he's, he's going here. And you also have to understand, Peter and John had every right to be angry and offended at this group because this group took the life of their master, their mentor, their teacher. They had every right to just to, to feel like, this is, I've got a little bit extra juice on this because I'm angry at you. Well, that's not what was happening here. Because he was full of the Holy Spirit. This wasn't in his own flesh. In fact, you see here in verse 12, this is actually out of a place of compassion for those that, remember when Jesus on the cross, he said, forgive them for what? They know not what they're doing. And so I think Peter and John here, out of a place of compassion, say, there's, nor is there salvation in any other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so a compassion comes over them that can only be supernatural because it would, it would not be natural to be lovey-dovey with these guys. A compassion comes over them and they're concerned for their salvation. And then verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized they had been with Jesus. You notice that the response here isn't anger. They marveled. Peter said it like it was. He just, he opened up his mouth, let the Holy Spirit speak, and it was, it was like to the heart. It was an incredible thing. And the reaction was, who is this guy? Aren't these like, the Galileans? Aren't these the uneducated? They, they didn't go to school to be rabbis. They're not. They, these guys shouldn't know what they're saying right now. And they're just, they're standing here full of the Holy Spirit with a wisdom from heaven and just undoing the 71 elite authorities of their day. And they marveled at them. <laughs> just huge. Peter and John, they, they talked an awful lot like Jesus. They answered questions and formulated responses like Jesus. These authorities had to have been looking back and remembering the times when Jesus just undid them with a statement. And now Peter and John are standing there doing the same thing and they say, they must have been with Jesus. <laughs> I, as a side note, just wonder if people can say the same thing about us. Well, they must have been with Jesus. Can they say that about you? Could they say that about me? Well, he must have been 
with Jesus. They sound an awful lot like Jesus. They walk an awful lot like Jesus. They do things quite a bit like Jesus. These are those Jesus followers. I think it's incredible. Verse 14, he goes on, and, and seeing the man who had been standing with them, they could say nothing against it. The result was standing there. Evidently, this man, uh, the, the crippled man, was there in this council as well. He was standing there with Peter and John. And remember, the, the, what, what they were on trial for, that what they wanted to talk about, they didn't talk about, right? What they were on trial for was, how did you get this guy healed? And he's standing right there, and Peter answered, well, the, the way we did this is in the name of Jesus. And then, you know, whom you crucified, all that stuff. And they stand there, marveled at the response, and they don't have an answer because the guy's healed. Because the evidence of the gospel is standing right there. The, it, it, was, it was the, not only, not only were there wise words, but there was power. There was a result Somebody was healed. Somebody was made whole. And his name is Jesus. And so they didn't have a response for it. There was nothing that they could say. Healings, miracles, signs, and wonders are always supposed to point to God and confirm the gospel. Always. It's never for our credit. It's never for our glory. It's never to grow a big church. It's never to, you know, to attract an audience. Although it does those things sometimes, right? It does, I mean, it drew crowds. But it was always, Peter's goal was never to draw a crowd. Peter's goal was to just be obedient to, to Jesus. Now God's, God's idea was, was, man, the reason why God showed up the way he showed up in Acts 2 is because in God's mind, this was the moment that could be the epicenter of, of the gospel of Christianity. The, the disciples didn't know. They were just obeying Jesus. Peter and John are just walking by the gate beautiful and see this crippled man. All they know is I'm just going to obey Jesus. Well, in God's mind, this is going to do something beyond what they could ever ask or imagine. And so verse 15, but when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed, what a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. We cannot deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them. That's a great idea. That from now on they speak to no man in this name. This is the great idea. They went into closed council, private council, and they conferred among themselves, what should we do about this? And they came up with a great idea. Let's really, really threaten them. And then maybe they'll stop speaking in this name. So they decided to defend their theology and their reputation at all cost. They created a law or an expectation here for Peter and John to follow. You have to understand, in that culture, in the Jewish culture, like the, um, ignorance was actually bliss. Like if you didn't know the law and they could prove that you didn't know what that law was, you got a chance. Right? And so there was no precedent here for Peter and John to, uh, to really be in trouble. And so they went into private council and came up with a precedent. And you're going to find this as you go into Acts chapter 5. That you're going to find out that, oh, wait a minute. Now they know exactly what they're doing. 
because it's all over from here. I mean, it's like the persecution of the church and the ripple effect across, uh, you know, all of the known world and what we have today because they, Peter and John, actually knew what they were doing at that point. They knew the consequences because the consequences came out of this meeting and they decided, regardless of the consequences, full of the Holy Spirit, we're going to do this thing. We're going to advance the gospel. And so then, in verse 23, um, Is that where I'm at? Oh, I'm sorry. Verse 18. So then they came out of the council. Verse 18. They they called them and and, uh, commanded them to not speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old, whom this miracle of healing had been performed. They were still amazed. And so Peter and John basically said, thanks, but no thanks. We're just not going to, we're not going to stop preaching. But they were fully threatened. They fully were aware of what they were doing. The Sanhedrin is feeling the tension and the pressure. The followers of Jesus are growing. These two guys are running their mouth. And they're talking an awful lot like Jesus. Man, we got rid of Jesus. And now there's like two of him. And are there, are there more? Like, the, like, I think that they're a little nervous right now. This thing could spread. Little did they know. In verse, uh, verse 23, and being let go. We're going to hang out here for a few minutes as we, as we head to a close. And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. It's probably that 120 or that close group of, of friends and, um, and original followers of Jesus. And they went there and they, they expressed what had just happened to them. In verse 24, so when they heard that, they raised their voice to God. This whole group, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God, you uh, who made heaven and earth and sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth of your servant David have said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? Again, that was, a, that was a Psalm 2. It was, a, it was another quote from the Old Testament. The kings of the, of the earth took their stand and the rulers who, who were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Verse 29, now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness they may speak your word. By stretching out your hand to heal and that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. This is a huge moment. I, I, I love the, you know, the first thing that stood out to me was that they, they didn't pray for comfort and protection. That Peter and John come, they share the story. This is what happened. We were just minding our own business, walking into the temple, thought we'd do a little healing on the side and go in, right, I mean, more than that. And 
everything happens and we're arrested and we are before the 71 highest elite Jewish authorities of the time and they said this and they threatened us that we can't do this anymore or else. And it was kind of scary, whatever. And now they're standing before their friends and their friends, man, we should pray for protection. We should pray that this never happens. We should pray that, it, what? no. No, they say, bring it on. Do it again, God. Give us boldness so that when this happens again, that just like Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, just, before, just like them, give us boldness so that if we have to defend our faith, so that if we have to talk about Jesus, the most important person to us, if we, if, if we get into that situation, would you give us that Holy Spirit unction to be able to say exactly what you want us to say, exactly how you want us to say it? It's huge. And so they prayed for boldness and and they wanted it in the same dramatic public fashion as done with the crippled beggar with healings and signs and wonders. Like, like, let's not do an underground church here. Let's not just go quiet. Like, let's just let it all hang out for the world to see. It's interesting. We don't truly understand opposition. I mean, I was just thinking about this. Like, why, why is it Sometimes hard for me to share my faith. Why is it sometimes? Well, you know what? I can understand if you, if you don't know Jesus, that's going to be hard because he's not, you don't love him yet. I can understand if you just barely have your ticket to heaven, fire insurance, and you're just not like, you're like you know just enough, depending on your theology, whatever, and uh, But this opposition, like I've, I've had people tell me, well, I don't believe what you're saying. I've had people say, I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about that. It's almost like you, know, you go to a family reunion and you don't talk about politics or religion, right? I found that out once. <laughs> that was awesome. I don't think I should share the story because we're being recorded. <laughs> great, great time. Great. Oh, I'm sorry. Back. I'm back. So there's, I mean, right, there's just certain things. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking like, you know, when I'm at like Caribou or when I'm at Baristas or I'm at Perkins or I'm at whatever, I'm at Hy-Vee or Walmart or if I'm just in a family reunion or I'm at the church in front of you or whatever, like there's nothing that could happen to me right now in this day that would even scratch the surface of what they were going to go through. Now, it may come. It may come. We're kind of sheltered in our American dream right now. And you see all over the world, there's more people that have died for Christ in the last, uh, you know, just relatively new history than in, than in this early church time. I mean, it, it's crazy around the world. We're just so, we're so sheltered. We have no idea what it means to stand up for our faith here. I mean, it, it's, just, it's just unreal. Basically, when we're talking about boldness in our context, we're basically just saying, Lord, I, I just want them to like me. I, I just don't want to cause any ripples. I, I, I don't want to cause a family rift. 
I don't want to, uh, I'm going to have to see this person every day at work, and I don't want them to, you know, man, this could be really awkward. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about boldness. When they were talking about boldness, they were talking about imprisonment. They were talking about torture. They were talking about death. And they prayed for more of it. It just amazed me. This is, I'm, when I'm pointing my fingers, I'm, this is, this hits, this hits me. I am such a chicken sometimes. So we really don't understand opposition in our context. And then verse 31 happens. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So God responds. He responds to their prayer. And something that I'm noticing here in the word and just in life, he always responds to prayers for boldness. He always does. Now, man, he absolutely loves prayers for protection and prayers for healing and prayers for deliverance and prayers for provision. He loves that. We teach that. We declare that. We believe that. All of those types of things. But here, they prayed for boldness. And he responded. The place where they were sitting was shaken. I, I, I think part of why he responds to prayers for, Lord, give me boldness to share my faith, I think part of it is because it has no hint of selfish motives. This isn't about anything that they could gain. In fact, it's about everything they could lose. The only motive that they had was to advance the gospel. And so they're all filled with the Holy Spirit in that room. And you remember, you remember Peter filled with the Holy Spirit? You remember when he was preaching and said that he was full of the Holy Spirit and he said all those things? This happens again right here. This is what what they were asking for. We want boldness. Okay, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. Give us boldness. All right, I'll fill you with the Holy Spirit. This is the evidence. Man, I, I grew up in a church culture where um, it was often said that the evidence for being baptized or filled with the Holy Spirit was speaking in tongues. And I'll tell you what, I believe it is one of the main evidences. It's a big deal. We'll talk about that sometime. We'll teach you on it. We have in this church. But you want to know one of the evidences of being baptized in the Holy Spirit in full? It's boldness. It is a huge deal. I mean, it says it here. They were full of the Spirit so that what? They could speak. So they could get over themselves. So they could share what the Lord had brought them there to share. This boldness that they were praying for wasn't based on a personality type. This boldness wasn't just being rude and unfiltered. You know what I'm talking about. Maybe you're that. <laughs> that's, that's not what it was. This wasn't someone, it's not like, have you heard someone come up and say, I just say it like it is. Or someone says, I'm just being real. Or I'm just being honest. I'll tell you what, that's not what this is talking about here. He's not just talking about someone that knows how to just like say it like it is and open up their mouth and whatever comes out. Because that's not, the, that's not what he's saying. That Holy Spirit boldness doesn't just give you the courage to speak the right words at the right time. It gives you also the wisdom and how to say it. You're that person that just says it like it is. No, you're probably just being rude. You're probably just not taking the time to let the Holy Spirit season 
your words. Peter did. Peter was the example par excellence of what it meant to be a person that just knew how to say whatever was on his mind, to then allow the Holy Spirit to take those words and out of boldness and Holy Spirit direction, let them fly. If your motive isn't love, then don't pray for boldness. Because then they, you see here in verse 31, then they spoke with boldness. And, and I like to think, it doesn't say here, I, I think that maybe this, this verse within verse 31, that it just kind of fast forward. Uh, because it wouldn't take a whole lot of boldness for them to just stand up in the midst of their friends and talk about the, uh, Jesus and the gospel, right? I think that this group, Peter comes back to the, all of his friends there and they're praying and the, the place shakes and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says, and then they spoke the word of God with boldness. I think it fast forwards to times where they actually went out and spoke with boldness. I think this is a, a picture of them going in, in the marketplace and in the temple courts and in the synagogues and in the places where it would count. And I think they actually did what that verse said. I like a quote by a guy named Ogaville, Ogavilvi. I don't I, no, I probably shouldn't have even said his name. Butchered it. He says this, the word boldness means lucid, a lucid and daring statement. In the Greek, the word is parisia, and it says it means this, telling it all. Telling it all. And so what I'm asking Holy Spirit here, for all of us, for me, that he would direct me to the right people at the right time not in my own strength, but that I would be aware and that I wouldn't hold back, that there would be something that would come over me, that there would be a fullness of the Holy Spirit and that I would tell it all, that I would tell it all, that I wouldn't candy coat this thing, that I wouldn't make it sound good and taste great and, and, and make it, you know, this, this is just, you know, just take this and it'll be good and, and you can all, there's like many ways to heaven and all this, like, I'm just going to tell it all. What if the next time that you were faced with the opportunity to share the greatest thing that's ever happened to you, you said, Holy Spirit, would you fill me? And then you just told it all. What if you just told it all? What if you imagine yourself like Peter and John before the greatest authorities of his day knowing that this was going to change everything and you told it all you just told it all can we stand if you're willing and you're comfortable would you just put your hands out in front of you and just say Holy Spirit come and by saying Holy Spirit come you're just saying God would you fill me with boldness too Maybe right now the Lord's bringing names and faces to your mind that you're just, He's just directing you. And there's people that just desperately need a Savior. They desperately need Jesus. And you've been wrestling with, well, maybe I'm not the right person to talk to them. You know, they're a family member and, and, and it's always hard to reach family members or they're a coworker and I don't want to look strange in front of my coworker or whatever whoever the person is in your sphere of influence maybe you don't even maybe you've never even had a conversation with them but you've just seen them 
and you're just, the Lord's bringing names and faces to you. And in this moment, maybe we can imagine ourselves like Peter and John coming back to the crowd of their friends and them praying for boldness. Holy Spirit, come. Would you fill us with your spirit so that we can tell it all? I'm just going to allow Pastor Kelly to lead us for just a minute here.